You're listening to New City's Sermon Podcast. We hope you're empowered and challenged as we root deep in God's word in order that we might grow in the good news of King Jesus and live as faithful citizens of his kingdom right here in our city. Let's get into the scriptures now. Four-week series in January called CrossFit, a series about spiritual fitness as the body of Christ. And last week, uh, we talked about what the number one rule of physical fitness is. Anybody remember? Show up. You can't get in shape if you stay in bed. And it's the same thing with a spiritually fit church, a spiritually fit church. The number one rule is show up. You got to go, you got to be there, you got to gather together in order to be a spiritually fit church and to be a spiritually fit Christian, you got to show up. And today we're going to be looking a little bit deeper. Um, once you show up, the next rule or the next thing about spiritual fitness is stepping up and building up the body of Christ by using your spiritual gift. And so we're going to get into that today and continue in this spiritually fit series. Um, so let's have a word of prayer and then we're going to get into Romans 12. Father, we thank you for the freedom that we have to gather and hear your word this morning. We want to lift up our brothers and sisters in Chengdu, China, who we talked about last week. And this morning, they got up and they got prepared and they got ready to go gather together, but they knew once they did, they might be arrested. And we know that some of them already have been arrested. And so we ask that you would strengthen them as some of them are now being detained in prison by the government there in Chengdu, China. And we ask that you'd help them to stand firm. And we ask that you'd help us to do the same. We need your help again today. We want to become a more spiritually fit church. And we ask that you would transform us by your word this morning, that you would give us hope and you would show us your love and mercy and yet you would challenge us to step up in the areas that we need to step up by the power of Jesus' resurrection and for his name's sake and all God's people said, amen. All right, Romans 12, 1 through 8. I'm going to read through this. Paul writes in Romans, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should. Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, as we have many parts in one body and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body, say one body, in Christ and individually members of one another. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching, in teaching. If exhorting, in exhortation. Giving with generosity. Leading with diligence. Showing mercy with cheerfulness. That's the word of God. Every other Tuesday for me is push-up Tuesday at the gym. 
I follow a two-week training schedule, and on every other Tuesday, it's Push-Up Tuesday. And on Push-Up Tuesday, all I do are push-ups. Wide push-ups, diamond push-ups, tap push-ups, push-ups where your legs are up, push-ups where your hands are close together. All I do is push-ups, and I don't like Push-Up Tuesday. I'll be honest with you. I really don't like Push-Up Tuesday because... On Push-Up Tuesday, I just stay in one place, the floor. And on Push-Up Tuesday, I don't count how many push-ups I do. I just set a timer. And so there's no sense in doing them faster because I still have to do push-ups for two minutes. And I can't stop until that two-minute mark hits. And so it just drags on. But not only that, a trainer told me, listen, when you're not able to do any more push-ups, drop on your knees instead of your feet and do half push-ups. And I don't like doing half push-ups. I feel a little embarrassed because I feel like I I should be doing full push-ups. And so I do not like push-up Tuesday. I really don't like anything about it. But all those thoughts running through my head about push-up Tuesday have made me realize something about physical fitness. And it's this. Your mind matters in physical fitness. Like, physical fitness is about your body, but the thoughts that you have going through your head matter when you're doing physical fitness. If I'm constantly thinking, I don't like this, I don't like this, up and down, up and down, I don't like this, guess what? I won't like that, and my body will respond to my thoughts. If I constantly think to myself, I can't finish this, I can't finish this, I can't finish this, guess what? That affects my ability to use my body to work out. And if I say, I'm embarrassed, I'm embarrassed, what's going through my mind will affect my physical fitness because your mind matters in physical fitness. The thoughts that you think matter when you're exercising. And I think that that's helpful because in a similar way that our mind matters to physical fitness, our mind matters in spiritual fitness as well. Spiritual fitness doesn't just happen, it involves intentionality with your mind. The thoughts that you think about God, what goes through your mind about Jesus, what you're thinking about yourself, and even how you view the church, all that matters. Your mind matters in spiritual fitness. And in our passage today, Paul is going to tell us all to step up and serve the body of Christ, build the body of Christ. But before he does that, he really focuses on our minds, our thinking, and our thoughts. Because we can't really be a spiritually fit church unless we understand how to think. So Paul says this, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God. He starts off by saying, in view of the mercies of God, because in the previous chapters, he has just been unpacking what God's mercy is and what God's mercy looks like. And Paul says, before you step up and build the body, you have to see the mercies of God in your mind, and you have to grab hold of them for yourself. What does Paul mean by the mercies of God? Well, the Bible has a very high view of human dignity. Every person is created in the image of God and is therefore worthy of dignity and respect. But the Bible has a very low view of our ability to think like God. In other words, God is our creator, but we have a really hard time thinking like he thinks. 
We are trapped in our own way of thinking. And we have much difficulty thinking like God. In fact, we can't even understand why God would not think like us. So we look at things and we go, that's good. And God goes, that's not good. And we look at things and we go, that's not good. And and God goes, yeah, it is. It is good. And sometimes we're even offended by that. We're offended that God would think differently than us. Or even more so, we're offended that God would look at our way of thinking, find it offensive, and judge us for our wrong thinking. But the truth is that God finds our thinking and the way we live based on that thinking deeply offensive. He finds it deeply offensive. Like if someone was living in your home, in your place, and they looked around the room and they saw pictures of you on the wall, and they opened your fridge and they saw leftovers with your name on it, and they looked outside and they saw the the yard that you cut. And then their assumption was, I guess this is my place. I guess I'm in charge. I guess I make the rules. I'm going to do what I want. In a similar way, we're living in God's world, doing what we want, not looking to him. His mark is on everything. And yet we assume, I'm here. I must, I must be in charge. And that's a distorted way of thinking that leads to a distorted way of living that God finds offensive, just like we would if someone did that in our own home. Scripture says that our way of thinking and living is rebellion against God. It is unrighteous in God's eyes, and the Scripture says that God will judge us for it. And that's bad news. That's hard news, but it's true. But in the same way that God is so different than us, He is unbelievably merciful. God is unbelievably merciful. Mercy means that you do not get the punishment that you deserve. Mercy means that you do not get what you deserve. And scripture tells us that God is absolutely full of mercy. We deserve judgment now from God for our rebellious thinking and living But God withholds judgment because he's merciful. Justice would be you and I being punished for our sins. But because God is merciful, he sent Jesus to be punished in your place. What we deserve is for God to let us go our own way, the way that we've chosen in our rebellious thinking and living. But in God's mercy, he comes after us and pursues us. God in his mercy has decided to enliven our hearts even though they're cold to God. In God's mercy, he has awakened our souls to Jesus Christ. And he's got into our thinking and even helped us see that Jesus is our only hope because God is merciful. In God's wonderful mercy, he sent Jesus and opened our blind eyes to our sin and to who Jesus is. Jesus is the mercy of God. Jesus is the mercy of God. He he withheld judgment and sent Jesus instead. It's like if that person was living in your house, you would be righteous to kick them out of your house for not living according to your rules in the house. But God has separated himself from Jesus instead of you. That's what happened on the cross. But then the amazing thing is 
God invites you to be in relationship with him. You were living in God's world, ignoring him, doing your own thing. And Jesus died for you as as an expression of the mercy of God. But then God invites you to stay, even though you've been eating his stuff and ignoring his pictures on the wall. And Paul says all this and says, in view of God's mercy. So everything that he's about to tell us is based on the fact that we did not get what we deserved. Jesus did. Instead, we get God and his mercy. How do you know if you see the mercy of God? Paul says in view of God's mercy, how do you know if you view it? How do you know if you see it? How do you know if it affects your thinking? First of all, you become a Christian. And as you become a Christian, that is grabbing hold of the mercy of God for the first time. You recognize that God's offended by your distorted way of thinking and living, and you see that what you deserve is judgment, but then you see the mercy of God giving Jesus the judgment that you deserve. And you take hold of the good news of Jesus and give your life to him. And you receive full forgiveness, and you become a child of God. The first way to grab onto God's mercy is by becoming a Christian, but then as you grow as a Christian, you grow and understand God's mercy. And you know you're growing and understanding God's mercy if you stop thinking about God in this way. God, you owe me. How many of us think, God, you owe me? God doesn't owe us anything except judgment. But we didn't get judgment, we got Jesus. And as we begin to understand that God doesn't know us anything, but he gave us his most treasured possession, his son Jesus, then we begin to live our lives based on the mercy of God and not on what we think we're owed. God, you owe me more money. God, you owe me a new house. God, you owe me this relationship. God, you owe me this job. No, God doesn't owe us anything except judgment, but we got Jesus. And the amazing thing is once you begin to get that, you stop saying, God, you owe me, and you start saying, God, thank you for mercy. And you get out of bed every morning, and you go, I was supposed to be under the judgment of God, but instead I got mercy. The day is full of possibilities because of what Christ has done for me on the cross. You know that you're beginning to grow as a Christian if you stop saying, God, you owe me, and you start saying, God, thank you for the mercy that you gave me. In Jesus. That's when you know you're getting mercy in your mind. Paul is going to tell us to step up and build the body. But before he does that, he says, look up and see the mercy of God to you in Jesus Christ. And as you see the mercy of God to you in Jesus Christ, offer up yourself back to God. Offer up yourself back to God. Go back one slide for me, Carlos. In view of the mercies of God... I urge you to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is true worship. If you were here last week, you'll remember that we used temple language in Hebrews to talk about the sacrifice of Jesus. Here Paul is using temple language again to talk about us being a sacrifice. In order, us offering ourselves back to God because he was merciful to us and didn't give us what we deserve. We offer up our whole lives as an offering to God. What that means is we dedicate all of ourselves to God's purposes. 
And oftentimes that feels like we're dying, and in a sense we are, but he calls us a living sacrifice. In other words, we come more to life through giving ourselves to God. We, we are new creations in Jesus Christ, and we become alive. We give ourselves over to God, and that is true worship. Can you say true worship? True worship. And I think we have this a little bit confused in the, in the modern church. We have this a little bit confused what worship is. We think that worship is a style of music or a passionate part of the service where, where we are super excited about Jesus and it changes us and, and it does change us and it is super exciting. But, but worship music is just part of the full spectrum of worship in us offering our lives back to God. God gives us mercy. We offer all of ourselves back to him and that is worship. And so we have to be careful that when we talk about worship, we understand that that's just a picture of giving all of our lives back to God. We can't just sing loudly, but then not live in the pattern that God has set for us. We have to let God into our lives, and we have to give him our finances, and our sexuality, and our time, and our possessions, and our relationships. We have to offer it all back up to God. And we have to be careful that we don't minimize what worship is and withhold something from God. Your response to God's mercy is to offer all of yourself up to him. But even to do that, you need a change of thinking. Even to give ourselves back to God, you have to think differently about yourself and you have to think differently about God because what God is going to tell us to do with our lives feels very different than what is naturally in our minds that we want to do with our lives. And so we need a deep change in order to see things from God's perspective and not just hold on to our own perspective. But that's exactly what Paul says. In verse 2, he says, Do not be conformed to this age, or you could say the culture, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. And what Paul's telling us is we are not to let the culture dictate what we think. But rather we're be to, to be transformed inwardly and allow God's way of thinking to become our way of thinking. Allow the mind of God to shape our mind. And begin to understand why our natural way of thinking is often so offensive to a holy God. But as we do that, God promises that he will change our thinking and we will begin to see the goodness of seeing things from God's perspective. That's what you're doing right now, in fact. You thought you were just coming to church, but right now God is shaping your mind. You're sitting under the word and saying, I want to understand what God thinks about things. And right now even you're being transformed as you begin to see things from God's perspective. And oftentimes when we understand God's thoughts, it feels foreign. Have you ever read a section of scripture and you're like, I don't think that's right. But what happens is we have to understand that we might not understand God's perspective because our way of thinking is often so distorted. When my trainer said, listen, when you're done doing the full push-ups, switch to your knees and keep doing push-ups. And I'm like, I don't like that. that I'm embarrassed that I can't do a full push-up. Do it anyway. And what I began to understand as I followed through with that was that doing the half push-ups actually made me stronger, even though I thought I was done, and enabled me to do more full push-ups. But I couldn't see that 
until I followed it and obeyed, until my thinking was changed and I agreed with what my trainer said. In a similar way, the more we get into the word, the more that we understand the way God thinks, we'll understand down the road why it was better. And it's better to follow through on the front end. I think one of the places that we have the hardest time with this is in our sexuality. Our culture tells us that you cannot be a fully alive human being unless you're also sexually active. But as we look at God's ways and what he says about sexuality, it often feels very out of step with what the culture says. And so for us, we have to look back at, our, at the word and be transformed by who God was and who Jesus is. And if you look at the Bible and you look at who Jesus was, Jesus was the most fully alive human being that ever walked the earth and was never sexually active. Never. He was born of the Virgin Mary, but he himself is still a virgin. He went to the cross and he died a virgin. He was risen from the grave and never had sex. He ascended and rules and reigns as the king of the universe, which is what we were singing about in the anthem, and he's never had sexual relationships with a woman. That's amazing. And when we begin to understand that, we go, listen, sex is a gift from God. Sex is wonderful and sex is good, but you don't have to be having sex to be a fully alive human being because Jesus was the most fully alive human being and yet he never had sex. And we have to allow that to transform our mind. And God wants to get in all of our minds and, and change us and shape us, not just about sexuality, but about money and about our time and about our hearts and our words and our relationships and our connection to a local church. Paul almost takes a hard right here. We're talking about the mercy of God and the way we change our thinking, but then he, he kind of spins it on us and goes, okay, you want to change your thinking, think about how you're connected to the local church. First, he tells us that we often have a distorted view of thinking about ourselves. In verse 3, he says this, for the, by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should not to think of himself more highly than he should think. We tend to have an inflated or deflated view of ourselves. John Murray said, no one is immune to exaggerated self-esteem. And we all think about ourselves all the time, right? I think about myself all the time, and I know you do as well. We think we're great, we think we're awful, we think we're awesome, we think we're terrible. And we think about our experiences and our pain and our joys and our frustrations and all that stuff is normal and human, but because of our distorted view of ourself and our distorted thinking, we often have a deflated or inflated view of ourself. Deflated, I'm alone. Inflated, I'm uniquely unique. Deflated, no one gets me. Inflated, I have more to offer than others do. No one else has been through what I've been through. My purpose is more important than other people's purpose. We often have a, a deflated or inflated view of ourselves because our thinking is distorted. And so Paul says to us, listen, there's a solution for a distorted way of thinking about yourself, and it's to think sensibly. 
That's to have sober judgment about yourself. And you say, well, how do you do that? Paul says, connect to the local church. In verse 4 and 5, he says, now as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. What Paul's saying is thinking sensibly about yourself looks like this. You think about yourself as an individual, but who is part of something much bigger than yourself. You're not insignificant. You're significant, but you're not all that. You're different than everybody else, but you need everybody else. Paul is telling us that thinking sensibly about ourselves comes from seeing ourselves as a participating member of the local church, the body of Christ. Paul uses that image of body. And here at this church, we will say God's blended family, we'll, we'll say um, church, but all that means the body of Christ. And Jesus so closely aligns himself with his followers that he says, we are his body. When he persecutes, or when uh, Saul persecutes the body of Christ, Jesus shows up to him to confront him, and he doesn't say, Paul, why are you persecuting my church? He says, why are you persecuting me? And the reason is, is because he so closely aligns with his people that he says, you are my body. And we are. We're one in Jesus. If you've been baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, if you've repented of your sins and you've turned to Christ and you've received the mercy of God, you're part of this. You're in. And the Holy Spirit has put a gift in you that is yours, but it's not for you. It's for you to share and step up and build the body. And in verse 6 through 8, he tells us what some of those gifts are. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. And he says, if prophecy, what does he say? Use it according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, in service. And then he goes on and says, teaching, exhorting, giving, leading, diligence, mercy. And in 1 Corinthians 12, which is a similar passage to this, he has a lot more gifts, including things like helping and administrating. And if you know Jesus, you have a gift in you. And maybe you've already discovered that gift. Sometimes people, what they're good at before they come to know Christ is still what they're good at after they are walking with Jesus. Like I know guys that used to sling drugs on the street, and they come to Christ, they repent, they stop slinging drugs, but they're still on the street slinging, but it's the gospel. Like they're going after everybody out there and being like, man, let me tell you about Jesus. I know other people uh, who find out they have a brand new gift that they didn't have before they knew Jesus. But everybody has a gift. Everybody has something in you that the Holy Spirit has put there for the benefit of everyone else to build up the body. So in view of God's mercy, offer yourself up to him. Allow your thinking to be changed so that you see yourself as part of a local church, maybe even here at New City Fellowship. Then step up and use your gift to build the body. That's what Paul means when he says, use it. Put your gift to use in service of the church. Look, he's telling us when the volunteer clipboard comes around, don't bird box the volunteer clipboard. 
Come on, somebody, you got a gift, you got to sign up and use that for the benefit of the church. Give the clipboard some love. Sign up and step up because everybody's gift is needed. Really, the Holy Spirit has put something in you. Our thinking about ourselves can often be so distorted because we immediately go, okay, I have a Holy Spirit in me, I have a gift, but my gift is not as great as that other person's. And so what benefit am I? That's distorted thinking again. And what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 12 is that all parts of the body are needed. Before we read this, which part of your body could you not have without consequence? Any part of your body that you get rid of has a significant consequence. And so Paul says about the body of Christ, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it's not for that reason any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Every gift is needed and every gift is honored. I mean, think about a hospital. Tim Keller has this great illustration where he talks about a hospital. And he says, what you think in the hospital is that the doctors are super important and then the nurses are the next in importance. And you could argue that. They've gone through a lot of training. They have a lot of medical knowledge. But then Keller says, what about the person who has the disinfectant bottle and just sprays down counters? What if that person were not in the hospital and the germs would spread and people would come to the hospital and not get better, but they'd get sick? All because that person who seems to have an insignificant part isn't there. And in the same way in the body of Christ, everybody matters. Everybody has a gift, and everybody's gift is needed. So let me encourage you. Step up. Step up and use your gift to build the body of Christ. Sometimes I know life can be overwhelming, and you're afraid to commit. Right? You're afraid to say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to show up, I'm going to serve, I'm going to build the body. Especially if you're in this season of life where you're trying to like, figure your own life out. You're like, I don't have time to build the body of Christ because i got to build my life. And I get that. I get that. You're trying to figure things out. You're trying to figure out which way is up. But let me encourage you with a couple things. First of all, usually life only gets busier. <laughs> life only gets busier. My wife and I laugh about how busy we thought we were when we first got married, and then how busy we thought we were when we have one kid, and then two kids, and then three kids. And you never know that you have all this time until that time's gone. And so let me encourage you, life only gets busier. Don't let life being busy keep you from stepping up and serving your brothers and sisters. But then here's the funny thing, and I think something that's kind of behind the text. Secondly, by stepping up and building the body, Paul's almost telling us that we're building our own life. By stepping up and building the body, we're discovering more of who God has made us to be and what our purpose is within his body. When I was right out of college, I began, I began attending a really good church. And I was 22 years old, and I kind of started to dabble in getting involved. But I didn't get involved because I had this awesome trip planned. I saved up my money my first summer out of college, 
and I bought a pass to go anywhere I wanted to on Amtrak by myself. Freedom, following my heart. It was awesome. I went to Chicago, and then I went to Montana and hiked in Glacier National Park, and then I went to Seattle and, and the Orca Islands off the coast, and then went to San Francisco and bummed around and ate calamari and then Denver. I mean, every place I went, it was amazing, and I got to meet a lot of interesting people. I didn't really find myself, though, if I'm honest with you. I learned a few things about myself, but I didn't really find myself. And then a month later, when I came back to Nashville and I really plugged into that church, I got involved with a small group. And as a 22-year-old, most of the people in that small group were 10 to 20 years older than me. Almost all of them were. So it was a little bit of an awkward fit. But I decided just to throw myself in anyway. And that couple years I spent with that group was one of the most formative things in my own life. Because those people cared for me, and they walked with me, and they taught me how to be a parent and a husband. And even as I did that, I began to build my own life. I began to figure out who I was and who God had made me. And the funny thing was, after being part of that group for a little while, they actually asked me to co-lead. And I look back at them now, I'm like, I didn't know anything. What was I supposed to teach people 15 years older than me that had three kids? But as I invested and as I committed and as I built up the body, I found that I was actually built up myself. I found more of my purpose about more of who I was and how God had made me. And so let me encourage you, even though you think that building up the body will delay you building your life, it's actually the opposite. As you commit to building up the body, stepping up in a local church, it actually builds your life. Even more than that, I want to challenge you. Step up and build the body because you're sitting on something. You. If you know Jesus Christ by the mercies of God, there is a spiritual gift in you. And I know this not because it's my opinion, but it's because what God says in his word. In 1 Corinthians 12, 7, he says, a manifestation of the spirit is given to each person for the common good. God has put a spiritual gift in you to build up the body. You have something that your church needs. And it starts with what's in your mind and seeing the mercies of God and then offering yourself up and your thinking up to God, but then learning to think rightly about yourself as an individual who's a participating part of the local church, the body of Christ. So friends, let me encourage you, step up, build the body. You're sitting on a gift that we need. Find a place to serve in the church because in doing so, you're not just serving the church. You're serving Jesus, who is the mercy of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you love us. We thank you for the mercy that was shown to us. And we thank you for all the amazing people that you have brought here. We thank you that each person really does have something that you've given them. And each person is important. And each person is significant. And so we pray, Lord, that you would help us to become a more spiritually fit church. We envision a year from now so many people serving one another on Sunday mornings and throughout the week through joining ministry teams. And, Lord, only you can make that pass, and so we ask that you would. But, Lord, we ask that you would reign in us, that you would change us, and that we would submit again to you afresh as our king. And all God's people said,